Welcome back to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. In our uh, podcast, we're always talking about what God is doing on the streets of Canadian cities. So let me tell you a story about three summers ago, I was uh, in my office at New Song Church and in walked uh, another guy from the church uh, and uh, introduced my guest today, Bobby Ream. And uh, Bobby walked into the office and uh, said, hey, do you remember me? And like every good pastor, I lied and said, <laughs> oh, hi. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it, it, after, after a bit of talking and thinking about it, I, I, it started to come back to me that we had met a few years prior when he and his wife, Grace, had uh, been to the church for a bit. Well, the day that I met Bobby, he had um, just uh, days before been released from prison, uh, ended up uh, on the streets living in Tent City in Hamilton, and uh, had uh, gotten steeped back into his addictions. And uh, and we'll, we'll tell the story about how he ended up coming to Windsor, but uh, needless to say, you were uh, embarking on a new journey at Launchpad Recovery Center. So, Bobby, it's uh, it's great to have you here and uh, have have this conversation with you. These past three years have been nothing short of miraculous. Um, so um, maybe just uh, set the tone, you know. Uh, today, what can you say about who Jesus is to you? Uh, today, Jesus is my Father, and, and Jesus is everything that I am today. Um, he gave me a do-over. I got grace and mercy from Him to to live. Yeah. To live, to yeah. Live again, yeah. He took it all away, all the bad, all the, just all the stuff that I did and gave me a new day. And for that, I'm thankful every day. I can tell. Uh, every time I see, I see gratitude, you know. Um, you're, uh, you're a married man. You got kids. Uh, tell me about Grace and tell me about your family. Um, married 24 years. I have six children, uh, one grandchild who I had just met when I got released from prison. Um, I didn't even know we had. Um, they ranged from 23 to 11. Yeah. Um, when, uh, you know, we, you, you mentioned, you know, getting out of prison and, and uh, uh, you know, feel free to share anything about uh, that, part of, that part of your life, you know, why? How did you end up in prison? <laughs> <laughs> Not for doing the right things. Um, I walked away from my family seven years ago. Um, addiction came back into my life. And uh, so I started dabbling again with cocaine and uh, my kids caught me, saw me doing it. And uh, the, the police used to, used to come to the schools and have a uh, a lesson on drugs and alcohol and stuff to the kids. So my one son started crying. And so the teacher, and he doesn't cry really. And the teacher came and took my ass and what's the matter? 
And he's like, I think my dad's drinking and using drugs again. So I, have, I got a phone call from the principal saying that they were holding my kids until my wife came because uh, there's suspected drug use at my house. So it wasn't a pleasant conversation with the principal. I won't use the language I was using at that time. And the cops came looking for me and I basically just, I had a choice, either face it or run. And I'm a runner, so I ran. And it took me back to the streets where I thought I was most comfortable because I grew up pretty much on the streets my whole life. And then eventually led to um, arrests for drugs and fraud and robbery and, and, and all that stuff that comes with that lifestyle. And then they finally caught me and I got sent to jail. That, that had to have been devastating to have uh, children's age saying you're not fit as a father, right? Yeah, I told them to, they better release my kids and bring them, let me come get them or else. <laughs> fill in the blanks, right? Yeah, fill in the blanks. Yeah. And it was it was tough, right? It was tough because I was uh sober for a well on and off for about eight, nine years at that time. Most of my kids uh did not see me use. I hit it all the time. Mm -hmm. But my wife knew. And uh so it it was a shock. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a shock that all of a sudden, you know, we're living out in Amherstburg and, and all of a sudden my dad's gone and the police are looking all over, all over the place for him because they don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, it was pretty devastating for them all. And it still is mm -hmm. to this day, mm -hmm. you know, and this is seven years later. Um, it's still devastating to me. Yeah. You know, I... that's where Jesus comes in. Yeah. Because, uh. He gives me the every day I get the new a new day to start fresh again, and, and that's the awesome, most awesome thing in the world. Yeah, you're not held captive by that's your right. past. The chains are gone. Yeah, how did uh, how did you and uh, Grace meet? <laughs> you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> no. I came to Windsor to to see a, a a friend that I met in college. Where were you living at that time? Peterborough. Peterborough. Um, <clears throat> So I was uh, actively in college, selling drugs and working at Domino's Pizza. So uh, we met a friend because we're from Windsor. So we came down to his place to visit for a party. And uh, my wife at the time, well, my wife, she was sitting at this party at the time and, and something just told me that she was the one. Um, I had two ounces of hash on me at the time. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> it was, uh, and the cops came in, the fire department came in and stuff. It was, it was quite a, quite a night. Yeah. Um, and then I just, uh, actively pursued it. Yeah. So was, uh, Grace uh, ever, uh, ever using or was she, um, yeah, uh, she was rebelling. Yeah. She was rebelling. She grew up in a Christian family. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know what denomination, but they they were no TV, no makeup kind of thing, and uh, all focused on the Lord at all times. So pretty pretty strict upbringing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she was the baby of the family, so mm -hmm. I think with high school and stuff, kind of like took her to a different um, place. So 
<clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm sensing a bit of a Beauty and the Beast story here. Oh, yes. What was your uh, upbringing uh, all about? What was that like? My upbringing was um, parents worked all the time. I was, we were alone a lot of the time. Uh, we played outside all the time. And pretty much there were rules, but not really. Um, I would, I could be outside all day and come home at nighttime and there was nothing of it. Um, I am a mommy's boy. I was mm -hmm. very close with my mother. Um, but my father was, I was not, he was, um, he grew up in a family of 14. So I believe that the, the love was a little bit missing mm -hmm. from him and his family, even though they loved each other. They all loved each other, but it's just a different time, right? A different era back then. Um, for me, I'm a sensitive guy. I'm a huggy kind of guy. I need that that stuff in my life to keep me going. Yeah. And I never ever got that from my father. Yeah. He was a tough and rough and kind of guy. Um, where I just wanted to like, I love you, Dad. Give him a hug, and it was never there. It was pushed away. And what do you want from me? kind of deal yeah right even though like now he's he's passed on now for 17 years but everybody always tells me how much he always talked about me how much he loved me how much this for me he wanted this and that for me but I never got it I never saw it yeah you know so yeah I believe um, that's what I was searching for since mm -hmm. I was nine years old yeah um, that's when I started experimenting with marijuana and stuff um, it brought me uh, to a different place. Nine years old. Nine years old. <clears throat> was it like in your house? Did you have? It was with a friend. Or a friend, um, yeah. It was actually was in Alberta. I still mm -hmm. remember the day. It was an outdoor hockey rink, mm -hmm. and it was spring. And he, uh, my friend, got it from his stole it from his older brother. And he's like, "Let's go try this." Was your friend like nine or ten years old? Same age. Yeah. Same age. And he and he said, "Let's go try this." And okay. So we went and tried it, and then it became like every other day. <laughs> it was like smoking a cigarette. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so that's what we... And I remember smoking it and watching my mother walk through the field coming home from work, and uh, we were hiding. Right? Mm -hmm. We were scared. But, but then after a few times of doing it, 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 it made me come out of... The person that I was like I was very shy very quiet um, and very um, I don't know how you could say I was just very alone mm -hmm. and once once this started coming in every day I met a whole nother mess of people another kids that were doing it as well yeah so and they're they're from that side of the road and I was on this side of the road which was a little bit better but yet we're all the same and we just it just took off from there and it became a, a weekend thing every weekend for 37 years yeah some of some of the people that uh, teach and talk about addictions talk about i think about like gabe mentor and guys like that mm -hmm. who there, there's this idea that um your uh, addiction uh comes out of a lack of relationship you know that that uh, that isolation and loneliness mm -hmm. and feeling disconnected 
Yeah. Um, how how much of addiction do you think for you was tied to having uh, a friend, having somebody else that uh, you could come together with, even though it was for something harmful in, in, mm -hmm. in some cases? Well, it, it opened the door for me to just be somebody else. Yeah. Right? Because I, most of my life, I hated myself. Hmm. I did. And I put on a good face and, and stuff like that growing up. Everything's okay, but I just I didn't love myself. I hated myself. I hated the way my hair was. I hated yeah. what I looked. I just, you know, maybe that came from the lack of the love from my dad or something. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And all I know is growing up that I hated myself and even at eight, nine, ten years old, I wanted to kill myself. Mm. You know, and that's a scary, scary place to be. Yeah. And this would, and smoking would actually take me away from that. Right. Right? And then it would, it would take me to a different spot. Almost like Jesus does with me now. It takes me to another yeah place right it fills all that stuff in. i like your uh, shirt there uh, hold it out there faith over fear faith over yeah fear. that's that's really what you're what you're uh learning in these last three years right? exactly yeah. um i i i lived in fear my whole life yeah you know even if it was what was going on in my head or my heart or what was going on on the street mm -hmm. you know I was selling drugs on the streets by 14 years old. Mm -hmm. You know, I was doing cocaine when I was like 12 years old. Mm. So we would go to Toronto on the weekend, take a bus, and we'd sell hash down on Young Street. Wow, at that age? At that age. Like I wow. would sleep at the gutters. I would sleep <clears throat> at, at the time they had YMCA's. Mm -hmm. And uh, you'd pay $2, you get a room, you know, and you'd have to and we'd stay there all weekend. My parents didn't really know. They didn't know what I was doing. They just figured I was at my friend's house. But wow. that's what I was doing. I was out there selling drugs. Wow. <laughs> you know, and I remember, like, I used to, we used to sit and, and get warm at, across from Sam the Record Man yeah. on Young Street, right? There was a grate there. Yeah. That's where, that's where we would chill, you know, and meet. That was my meeting place. And would you... Uh come back with a lot of money or would you just spend a lot of it? Well, we had a quota, right? Yeah. I had to bring back a certain amount and then most of it was for free dope. Hmm. And then I would have have dope. So you have to, you, you learn how to, how to feed your habit. Yeah. Without, when you're 14 years old, you don't have means to, to money all the time. Yeah. Right? So you were hiding, hiding it from... I've been hiding it for a long time. Yeah. You know, when my mother hears this now, she's probably <laughs> because she doesn't know any of this. But you know, Bobby Reen, yeah, go to your room. Oh, it's Robert over here. <laughs> but yeah, it's just it, it's messed up. It's messed up. Yeah. But that's that's where I found comfort. Right. When when did your um, your family find out that you were uh, using drugs or well, selling drugs or any of it? I think my dad found out when I moved out, they cleaned up my base basement uh, bedroom and he found some some joints mm -hmm. and underneath the bed and stuff. And then he came confronted me. He's like, I cleaned up your room and I found this. I was like, oh, that's where I left it. 
right? <laughs> Trying to shrug it off and walk yeah. out the door, right? Yeah. But he, he wasn't much of, of um, words, <clears throat> but he's just like, I found what was under your bed. Yeah. And that was that. That was the extent of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I have never really, the only time I would get punished for drug use is if the police call me. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, well, to me, there's my, uh, my way of saying that it's okay to do this. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's just. You needed, you needed a father to actually say that you can't do this yeah. and set some limits and. Yeah. yeah. But like my dad would work all day, right? So yeah. He's gone at four in the morning. Yeah. And he would get home at five, six o'clock. Yeah. Have a couple shots and a beer and yeah. a meal and, and he's in bed. Like I was out the door, I was sneaking out the door every night mm-hmm. at like 10, 10 o'clock, 9, 30, 10 o'clock. And I'd be out all night mm-hmm. and I would wait till he leaves at 4.30 in the morning and then I'd go in, in the house. Mm. They never knew. Yeah. They might have known, but they never yeah. confronted me about it, right? So there was a lot of uh, freedom, I guess you could say. Yeah. So were you out partying? And- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, stealing cars or stealing stuff, and yeah, you know, I was 15 years old and I got charged with 31 car thefts oh. out of Hamilton. So we were running a car theft chop shop kind of deal. Yeah, um, yeah. So that that's what led to me actually the next level of my addiction, mm-hmm. because when I got caught, you know, he uh, he came to get me downtown, you know, and I wasn't telling the cops anything. Mm-hmm. Right, and he's like, he punched me, and he's like, you tell him the truth, blah blah blah, and you know that was that was pretty much it for that relationship, mm-hmm. and then he told me to pack my stuff and go, mm-hmm. so I did, yeah, and that's when I, I moved back to Toronto and started selling cocaine at the biker bars, yeah, you know, doing whatever you got to do, and yeah. I didn't talk to my parents probably for over two years. Mm. Yeah, we were talking before we started recording about beards and uh, <laughs> and uh, you got a great beard uh, and apparently you always have. Were you, were you born with a beard? <laughs> well, I was 15, right? 15, 15 you started growing your beard. Grow, goatee. Yeah. And like I looked the same pretty much since I was 15. Yeah. Like I've been like this. Yeah. Right. Um, so I could pretty much, I was a little bit thicker. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's kind of hard at my age now to get my weight back on after what I've been through. <laughs> but I'm doing pretty good. Um, you know. Well, well, let's talk about the drugs for a minute. You know, you uh, it started at, at nine years old, smoking your first joint. Um, then at by twelve, you were uh, using cocaine. Um, in the stuff in the middle. Yeah, like I was, we were sniffing glue. We were huffing gas at that time. Like wow. that's when all that stuff was going on, right? When wow. I grew up. So there was a lot of different things going on. Yeah. You know, I'm not just amazed that I am uh, mentally, yeah, physically the way I am because we did it a lot. Like even the glue, people were dying sniffing glue. Yeah. Well, if you remember. Yeah, you I know, do. The yeah. kids were doing, and and we were doing that. And mm-hmm. I'm okay to say that today because that is part of my thing. Like. I remember huffing gas. I remember, I remember all that stuff, but I yeah. don't remember growing up. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the things that happened in school. I don't remember like I've shut that out. Yeah. I don't have much memory of, of my grade school life. Yeah. You know, it's, 
that's the trauma, right? For whatever reasons it is, but. And, and, li and then, you know, were there, uh, you know, t t towards uh, <clears throat> the end of this uh, horrible part, you know, when you um, got back into your addiction, had to leave your family, um, were you going back to the same old, same old drugs, or were there other things that you like? Well, yeah, how I, deep did you go? I uh, I went back to the cocaine first mm -hmm. because uh, my partner at the time for uh, what I was bricking houses, um, they were they had cocaine on them. Yeah. So I started with the cocaine and, and the beer, mm -hmm. and then when all that stuff happened with the the police and children's aid and stuff. Um, the cocaine and that was pricey and I'm not where I wasn't working no more because I just walked away from everything. I yeah. Pretty much left everything. Yeah. And so someone got me introduced to the White House um, and that's where I discovered meth. The White House is uh, on Olette, but on Olette Avenue in Windsor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so we used to sell, we used to chop dope out of there mm -hmm. and stuff. So I became part of that. Yeah. That life's yeah cycle i guess <laughs> yeah but that was part of the journey that really changed me to the next level down yeah yeah so it was cheaper it was more convenient because it was hard to find crack and stuff at, at that time because this meth was coming in like like crazy yeah so i started doing that and you know i'd be up for a week two weeks whatever well it came to a point where it wasn't working anymore so then i started injecting so then I became an IV drug user, um, whatever. It was meth, pills, cocaine, whatever it was. Kind of hard to imagine, eh? It, it's not working anymore. Yeah. It's, yeah. It was like my mouth was getting so sore from smoking so much. Yeah. Because me, me, I go all in. Yeah. Whatever I do. Yeah. Right? It's all in. And that's the scary part of addiction because... I'm at that point where you're at that point where you don't care. Yeah. You don't care what you're smoking. You don't care what you're injecting. All you want to do is stop that. Yeah. And, and when you, when you, when you stop or you, you don't have it. Yeah. You do whatever you can to get it. You want to stop the torment in your mind. That's right. Yeah. And then it's the, the, the feelings, the kids, the way everything comes back and you just want to get rid of that as fast as possible. So I think it was during COVID that uh, you got uh, released from jail. Yeah. What what jail were you in? And and uh, I talk, was... take me from uh, the the day you got out of jail to uh, the day you ended up back in Windsor. I was in Barton Street Jail in Hamilton for a year. Um, I was in Barton Barton Street for six seven months before that. I got released for four days, and then I got busted with two ounces of meth four days later. I think it was Valentine's Day or something. <laughs> um, I, I, I believe that I'm a COVID miracle. COVID actually saved my life. Hmm. Um, I got released early. I did not know. I got called for court. I got released early from, uh, from jail. Uh, six months or six I, months. I remember or that they were a lot of jails were uh, yeah. thinning out the population. Well, we were three to a cell. And yeah. We were locked up for 23 hours a day, well, 23 and a half hours a day 
for about six months. And they only let the good guys out early. Right? Yeah, so I never got out. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't even know, right? Yeah. Um, but it, it came to the point where they're like, okay, we're thinking about releasing you. Mm -hmm. And I remember going back into my cell, thinking, oh man, what am I going to do now? Right? Because you're not expecting this day to come. Um, I didn't know much about COVID. You know, they only, we only seen what was on TV. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, I got an appointment with the, the work before I, I got released. And I'm like, well, what do I do? You know, because she's giving me the rundown. You have to have a mask on. You have to do this and this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, it's, the city's on like a shutdown. It was, uh, it's locked down or something. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, I, I thought, well, I want to get back to Windsor. So I was trying to call detox in Windsor and uh, they wouldn't have nothing to do it, with it because I wasn't out of prison yet, hmm. right? So I knew I could possibly be out today. Can I come? And uh, so they didn't do nothing. So they, they ended up releasing me. Um, what took, time of year was it? This was the yeah, August, end of August. End of August. August yeah. 24th, yeah. 2020. Yeah. I remember it a while. So they released me. Um, I said, well, where do I go? They're like, you know, you can't go to the missions. You can't go to Salvation Army. You can't go anywhere because everything is closed. So they said, your best bet is to go to Tent City across the street, grab a tent and find some grass and see you later. Wow. So here I am. And Hamilton is a very busy, busy, busy place. Mm -hmm. Nonstop, 24 hours a day. Yep. And when I got released, it, there was nothing moving. Yeah. There was no cars, there was no people, there was nothing. They should. They told me to go back to in front of Barton Street Jail, and that's where the tent city was at the time. Mm -hmm. They took me to the um, finger, fingerprint place, mugshot place, yeah. before they released me. And so I had to walk back to tent city, and, and it was just eerie. I remember the eerie feelings, just like, well, what am I going to do now? Like, you know, you always wish for the world to, to, to stop. Yeah. And you can have free range to do whatever you want. But when, yeah. when you've been locked up for the last two years and then you get thrown into that, you don't know what to do. Like, you got, was you no got released from jail into the whole, whole city yeah. being shut down. Every door was locked. Every washroom was closed. There was no pay phones. There yeah. was nothing. Like, yeah. I didn't know what happened. <laughs> like the whole world changed yeah. within that time and when they released me. So I got to Tent City and there was a little hub there and they're like, okay, they gave me a sleeping bag. They didn't have tents. And uh, that was it. And I'm looking at this whole area and it's just like tarps and bikes and people. There was probably about 300 people mm -hmm. all stuck into this, to this thing, right? So of course, Within 10 minutes, I, I had a deal with my arm. Yeah. Right? So I was just like, if I'm going to, how am I going to get through this? I don't, like, I was not prepared for this at all. Yeah. So, you know, the next couple of days was, was, uh, was that. Mm -hmm. You know, there was people walking around like there were zombies and stuff like that. And, and, and fentanyl just started coming out before I went away. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was, was dealing it and selling it as well. But it just started, you mm -hmm. know. I didn't know the whole effect it was taking until I got to Tent City and I seen that. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget when I walked in there and, and sitting there watching what was going on.
it's it's just it was I don't, like, I don't even know how to describe it like like a zombie apocalypse it was a zombie and I always yeah. call it zombie bill because yeah. that's what it was it was like that so a few a few days later that's when I started really thinking like mm -hmm. is this what you want just what you want <laughs> yeah so, yeah so there you are in, in uh, it, it's amazing that you know in 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 a, a country that has so many resources so many smart people so many ways to um, you know, set up shop and help people yeah. that the best option come out of jail was to go to Tent City and and them tell you that. Yeah, they you know, weren't like, too happy about it either. But yeah, they, and 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 you know, I think that that's what I mean. I think COVID caught a lot of people off guard to realize just that uh, our our systems, our our ways of help, every like. This this is paper thin. Mm -hmm. This this doesn't doesn't always get get us to where we need to be. And, and I had almost two years clean in jail. Well, there's yeah. jail drugs, right? But I yeah. I didn't participate much to that. Yeah, um, they come at a cost, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I had I had my things too, you know, like yeah. I was hoarding suboxone and stuff like that to sell for for money because I didn't have anything. I didn't have yeah. anybody. Everybody just let me go. Yeah, and. Uh, Coming, if it was a few months or something, I could, it would be all right. But it was almost two years. It was two years that I was out of this world. Yeah. And then put back into that. Wow. And it's just a, it was another time where it's just like, you know what, let's, let's end this. Yeah. And that's what I was trying to do for the last seven years or five years, right? Yeah. Just trying to end it. And, uh, How pervasive through your life was the desire to, to, to die? There's, there's probably about seven times. Yeah. Like to the point where I've had a gun in my mouth. Yeah. Put the bullet in, pull the trigger, it didn't come. Hmm. And then my friend caught me and beat the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and there's times when, you know, I tried to drive in front of a dump truck, or hang myself. You know, it's all yeah. kinds of different things, but it never worked. Hmm. This is today is where I believe I God had His hand on my life. Apparently, yes. Yeah. Because even through all this, all these situations I've been into, and like shot at, stabbed at, stuff like that, and car accidents, I've, I've never broken a bone in my body, ever. Hmm. And I've I've been in some pretty bad things, like accidents and falling off mountains and stuff like that. And wow. so it finally. This is where my surrendering comes in. And when, when I was sitting at Tent City there, what, what do you want to do? And I prayed to God, you know, if you get me out of here, I will never touch a needle again. You know, I gave him the demand. Mm -hmm. Because that's what we do, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> if you do this for me, I will do this for you. Yeah. But I was curled up on the building getting rained on at Tent City. And I think this is my, my first way. Second Timothy four seventeen and eighteen. He heard my cry, and he and he pulled me out of that, mm. and he did, because I made a phone call and my sister was there to pick me up within days. Mm. And I said, "You have to get me out of here now." Right? Yeah. 
and this is where the the transition began. Where, where did your sister live? In Hamilton. In Hamilton, yeah. Yeah, I grew up in Hamilton. Yeah, so she she came, she picked you up. She came. Well, she actually, city. I got to a friend's house, my co-accused actually, yeah. and it was. I walked into their house, and and everybody was all, fettied out, dove all over the place. Yeah. And I was just like, you gotta come get me now. Yeah. Because I'm not using. I didn't use that yeah. day. Yeah. And I said, you have to get me out of here now before I put this in my. And she did. She came and got me. Wow. She came and got me. So I believe, but, you know, it was a miracle that. I could get that number it was because I had no phones, no nothing. Right. And it just, yeah. it, just it was there. Wow. It was there for me. So I believe, you know, God has had his hand on me. It's just waiting for me to yeah. surrender. So she comes to your uh, co-accused uh, house, picks you up me up and uh, takes you home or to Well, she, <laughs> she dumped me off on my other sister. Because uh -huh. <laughs> I wasn't allowed at her house with her. She was living with her father and mother-in-law and yeah. stuff. They didn't want me around, mm -hmm. right, because of what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So my other sister from Welland, mm -hmm. which was another place I just trashed through with selling drugs and everything and mm -hmm. went to jail. You know, um, she came and got me with, with the uh, notion that I was leaving to go yeah. to rehab. Mm -hmm. So... And this is where it, where it started. Like I called detox probably fifty times in Windsor. And yeah, you know. And by the time I finally got to them, because I was in Welland, they wouldn't help me. I'm like the last place I left and got arrested from us from Windsor, and they're like, we can't help you. I'm like, I'm trying to get to Brantwood or something. You know. Like, yeah. I'm trying to get back. Yeah. And it's like we're sorry. So I kept calling. I kept calling, I kept calling, because my sister wanted me out, mm -hmm. you know. And this is where Launchpad came in, because she's like, let me give you this guy's number. Your sister gave you uh, John Button's no, number? No, Detox. Or Detox did. Detox. Okay, Detox yeah, they, they knew John. Yeah, Yeah. so they said, let me get, give you this guy's number, he may have a bed for you. Hmm. So I'm like, okay, so I'm figuring. If I get touched with this guy, I get one night and I can go into Brentwood. Because 25 mm -hmm. years ago, when we went to old detox, that's what you did. Yeah. Right? You went in, Brentwood came, picked you up. So yep. I'm thinking it's the same way. So they gave me this number and then I got through and I phoned. And, you know, yo, bro. Yeah. So I was like, <laughs> Did you guys know each other at no, all? From I had no idea who he no. was. I don't know. I had no, no. idea about Launchpad. I had, I had no idea what I was getting, I just wanted somewhere to go before I went to Brownwood. Yeah. So I told him what was going on. I just got released from jail. I'm at Tent City and I want to get into recovery through Brentwood or whatever. And he's like, okay, okay, you sober? I'm like, yeah, I've been sober for a week. I'm sitting, I'm at my sister's house, you know? And he's like, okay, will you come here right now sober? And I got a bed for you. But I was like, well, there's a issue because I'm in Welland. So can I make it like, Sunday, this was like a Thursday or Friday, right? So he's like, yeah, you come Sunday by four o'clock, sober, and I got a bed for you. So there it began. Wow. Right? So I did not know this, but my sister had called my wife until mm -hmm. they got me. Yeah. Right? Because they, had, my, my wife and kids had no idea. They, they didn't hear from me. Chef, yeah. You were They didn't know if I was alive, yeah. dead. They heard bits and pieces of my sister finding me in jail here or jail there yeah. and stuff. 
that they're expecting the phone call that your father's dead or your husband's dead. Yeah. That's what they're waiting for. And uh, so she takes me from Welland and starts heading down the 401 and we stop in London at the McDonald's there on Wellington. Mm -hmm. And uh, I go have a smoke and her pulls up my wife. <laughs> Your wife <laughs> pulled up. <laughs> pulled up. You were set up. <laughs> I was set up. <laughs> <laughs> so she pulled up and um, she, she brought me to Launchpad. We both didn't have no idea what Launchpad was. Yeah. Um, but it, it was an okay drive. It was, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to say. Yeah. I wasn't even expecting to be here. Yeah. Um, you know, so an hour and a half, which felt like four and a half, five hours, we pull up to Launchpad and on a let, and this is where I was telling earlier about God has a sense of humor because the last place I left Windsor is the first place I get dropped off at, which was right across from the White House, on Olette, Launch Pad Recovery Center. <laughs> and my wife's like, I'm not letting you out. I don't want, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, because that's, this is where we, I believe, but I made that prayer to come get me out of this, yeah. this hell, yeah. whatever it is, the lion's mouth. And, and he delivered, and he delivered me right back to where it was. Yeah. And, there was my choice because everything's a choice right mm -hmm. my choice was i go there or i go this way yeah. do i want to go back to the chaos or do i want to surrender and get my life back and live again and i chose to live again yeah now you uh uh you, the, the intent city that was not the first time that uh you had an awareness of god or uh, had had spoken to God. You mm -hmm. had a bit of history with the Lord. What, yeah. How did that all get started? Wow. And that's and, long. Uh, I went. My first real encounter was when I went to Teen Challenge. Mm -hmm. I think. Um, yes, I married into a Christian family. I got baptized because she got baptized, mm -hmm. and I thought that would take everything away, you know, and playing the half and half on this side and this side. It, you know, I wasn't fully 100% committed. Yeah. But I was going because I wanted that. Yeah. Right? But I didn't understand the transition and I didn't I didn't know. But God knew. Yeah. Right? I had to go through that. Yeah. I had to figure it out. But when I got to Teen Challenge, it, it was all uh, Christianity. It was a Christian, you know, it's a Christian recovery center for yeah. a year. Yeah. So within that year, I did like two and a half years of college Bible study. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, it's all day long, it's, it's Christ, 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 Christ. And then I started, I started, you know, understanding and I started feeling better, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I started, okay, I'm going to let it out, let it go. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to, I'm going to worship and I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Because it's telling me things. Yeah. You're worth it. You know, I, we love you. He loves me. He lo never, yeah. no matter what, no yeah. matter what. You know, I still didn't understand it 100% until this now, till this time now. But it was just like, it, w it was amazing. And, you know, and it changed me. It really mm -hmm. did. It changed me. And, um, but I've always wanted that old Bob back. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. that's the one I'm comfortable with. Yeah. You know, 
and, and that's hard to, to to make that change, you know. Um, so Teen Challenge, this this old couple asked me. They said, "Would you like to be delivered?" Hmm. I'm like, "To where? Back to Windsor?" And they're <laughs> like, "No. Would you like? We're having a deliverance. Would you like to? Would you like to have a deliverance?" Hmm. And I thought about it, and I'm like, "You know what? Sure, I'll go with this." Um, so they took me to the church, and and we had this deliverance thing. Mm-hmm. And my gosh, this guy, this pastor, this pastor Kusick at the time. Um, Peter Kusick. Peter Kusick. Yeah, good friend. Yeah, he yeah. Uh, he did this thing, and I've seen so many, so many demons, so many chains. Like I wrote a story about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was climbing through this mountain and for my life I was running for my life and clinging to this and this thing is chasing me you know chasing me and chasing me and chasing me and I remember being scared I remember being this I remember all those things that I've been hiding from mm-hmm. you know as I'm climbing up this thing as fast as I can and I'm like I'm, that's it I'm gonna die I'm going and going and going and going and then all of a sudden I, I see this this blue of the bluest and, and all of a sudden boom I come out and then this person pulls me out and, and it was Jesus, well, at the time what I thought was Jesus, and my father hmm. beside him. And then we lost a baby. In you ever said, yeah. We lost a baby. Yeah. And I believe that baby was there as well. Hmm. And they just hugged me. Wow. Right? And then... So this all transpired in this uh, deliberate session where... Yeah, I don't know how long it, it lasted for. Yeah. Like, it could have been two or three hours. All I know is I was completely exhausted, yeah. And and I went back to Teen Challenge, and my head was pounding. I was sweating. It was like I was laying in bed, and it was it was like all this poison was sweating out of me. It hurt, mm-hmm. like but I was like feeling like I was levitating on the bed. It, it was crazy, right? And this is I've never been as high as in my life to to get the feelings that I had that day. Wow. You know, and it, it and I cried, and then my tears, my eyes were burning. You know, my whole face was burning with tears, and and then I I just remember falling asleep, and wow. I, and I woke up the next day, and we we're playing soccer outside, you know, and there was another guy that I was close with at Teen Challenge, and he wasn't a hundred percent believer either, mm-hmm. and he comes back up to me and say, Bobby, what's up? He goes, I'm watching you from the end of the goal line. And there was like a beam of light around you, everywhere you're running. Wow. Yeah, and he didn't know no idea about my deliverance, right? Yeah. And he's just like, I was just watching. It was like this beam of light everywhere you were. Made me scared, right? I got scared. You got scared, yeah. I got scared, you know. And I had we had another incident at a church where where we were having a prayer thing and and and. It was, it was, it scared me. Yeah. I'll just say that. It scared the crap out of me. And I never, ever could get back to that because I want, I didn't like that. So you, you chose fear over faith, right? And went back to, to using or, you know, my comfort. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Why do you think you were afraid? I was afraid to change. Yeah. I didn't see Christians as um, strong men or nothing. I saw it as weakness. Mm-hmm. I saw it as uh, 
like I don't know the whole system. I didn't know the whole system at the time. I just, you know, I loved my family because they were Christians. And, and yeah. That, but there were some that I just think were nerds and geeks. And, and I yeah. That wasn't me. I built this image of me for so long of being this tough street kid, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I didn't want to be like that. Yeah. But then, you know, at age 47, that's all I wanted to be. Yeah. Right? So he gave me the, the choice again. Right? So you show up at Launchpad Recovery Center, and uh, John Button, who runs Launchpad, uh, had a very dramatic uh, story as well. He came to Jesus in jail yeah. and uh, had a conversation with the Lord and where he uh, said, if, if I can have five years uh, clean and so sober because of Jesus, then I'll I'll start a, a Christ-centered recovery home. Yeah, and uh, and he's done that. And yes. uh, there's dozens of men that have been through Launchpad, and yeah. you're one of them. So um, uh, talk about Launchpad. What? Okay, so you're at a, a place where you're actually saying, saying Jesus, uh, I surrender. You know, and uh, so what? What? What went on at Launchpad, and how did that uh, how it start to reframe you? Well, when I, when I when I got into the office there, it was like I said, I thought I was there for the day, the night, mm -hmm. and then he just blatantly told me, "You ain't going anywhere." You know, this is a Christ-centered recovery center, and I went, "Oh, even better." all right because yes. <laughs> like, right, i've done i've done the, the christian recovery center and that's where i've gotten my best yeah you know and then i remember my prayer mm -hmm. so i took it as an opportunity as the god opening the door right and then put me back in front of where i left right so he said to me he said actually he said it to my daughter because she wasn't gonna let me go right and he's like um just give me six months Mm -hmm. Six months, and, and you'll have a new dad again. All right, so, and then we got in the office, and I said, six months? I said, how about I give you two years? And he laughed. Yeah. And I'm like, serious, like, I'm dedicating two years, because I know that I need t at least two years. Yeah. I've done the year, yeah. and I got lots of sobriety, but I didn't do it 100%. But two years is what I need. That's what was put into my, my heart, mm -hmm. my mind, and that's what I wanted to do. So, I don't know, like, it happened so fast. Mm -hmm. Like, this two years, it flew by. Yeah. You know, there was Pastor Roy that came here, and he's like, how you doing, young man? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm yep. okay. And he's like, do you know Jesus? And I'm like, I do. And he's like, do you want to surrender to Jesus? And I said, hmm, <laughs> let me think about that for a minute. And I said, no, absolutely. Go. I said, yes. And then I just broke down. I broke down and cried right on that table. And he sat there with me for a little while. And he says, you know, it's okay to rededicate your life. It's, it's okay to, to start again, you yeah. know, because that's what my fear of starting again. Like I've done it again and again, and I've, and with the wife and the kids yeah. and they've been through it enough times and you know that's why I would rather not have come back because it's hard yeah it is it's really hard 
Yeah. You know, and I told him, I said, I don't, I am done. I said, I want to surrender a hundred percent and give it my life back. Cause he kept me safe. He's kept me healthy and he's given me a do over. And he said, okay. So he prayed over me. I prayed. Um, I basically prayed for everything just to go away. Like the, the cravings, the, this and that, the, mm -hmm. the, the hurt, the shame, the guilt. You know, like I want a new, I want a clean slate. Yeah. You know, you brought me here. I yeah. want a clean slate. Old, old Bob had to die. Old Bob died. Yeah. Old Bob died that day down in that old basement yeah. on that table with Pastor Roy. Yeah. And every, pretty much, I, I believe I was delivered that night. Mm -hmm. My cravings were gone. Yeah. My thoughts were gone. Um, I had a clean slate and and, I, and it was time, and and it just I I don't even remember really because it, it happened so fast and so good, and like I got blessed, like you know coming from Tent City, at that time was you know two two and a half years ago to today like almost three years next month two months, mm -hmm. you know I went through Launchpad I've got my job back I've got most of my family back. You know, I have relationships with them. Mm -hmm. I, I have my my own house now in Kingsbridge. Mm -hmm. You know, I came to Launchpad with an empty backpack. Yeah, that's all I had was yeah. an empty backpack and the clothes on my body. Right. How much do you deal with loneliness? I don't. What? It's gone. <laughs> what do you mean it's gone? It's gone. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not lonely. I'm not. Yeah. I. I I'm good. Like every morning I have a schedule now. Yeah. Every morning I wake up, I do my devotions. Yeah. You know, I do my, uh, I do about 45 minutes. I wake up at 5, 5.30 in the morning. Yeah. Do my devotions every day. Yeah. Every day. And I have, uh, I have apps coming in this and that that keep me, keep me refreshed yeah. all day long because yeah. I need that. Yeah. And if I don't have that, I don't start my day out like that, then I'm done. Like I'm not done, but yeah old Bob can come back and yeah I don't want that yeah and I think believe changing my my ways of life now yeah how because I read the word every day no matter what it, it, unbelievable how powerful you know our practices are yeah yeah and I believe God is still with me every day because when my things pop up it's exactly what I need yeah to start my day or what happened last night or something, right? Yep. The beauty is every day we get a new day of mercy and grace. And I'm so thankful for that. Yeah. You know, I get to wake up again and yeah. do it and yeah. try and do as best better than I did yesterday. Yeah. You know, and that's my goal now is to wake up every day and try and do a little more better. Yeah. Cause I'm going to fail. I'm, yep. We really are. Right. And, um, so you're working, you got a house. I work a house, I have my own house now. Yeah. You've, you've been reunited with your family. I live right around the corner from them yeah. now, so I, I see them every day, yeah. most of the time. You know, it's, it's good. Um, so uh, bringing it up to um, what's current, um, our church, New Song, has a, has a ministry called uh, Street Angels. And uh, there's this old uh, house trailer that was fixed up and painted, and 
and uh, repurposed as the soup shack. Yes. And uh, so it sits on down on Wyandotte and Parent right now, and in the evenings, and and folks who are on the streets or street affiliated after hours, it's a place to go get something to eat. And yes. you're right in the thick of that. You're uh, leading a team of volunteers. Talk about the Soup Shack. What's going on there? The Soup Shack is, is phenomenal. Um, when I got two years clean, I, I started praying again. What do you want me to do now? Because like my two years was up. Yeah. So this thing, again, popped up on my phone about the Soup Shack. Now, back when I was in Hamilton, we wouldn't eat for a long time, and we heard there was a guy that comes with his truck, so food and coffee and stuff like that. So we would go visit him, and it's always been on my heart to do that if I ever got clean, mm -hmm. right? So I seen this ad for the soup shack looking for volunteers, so I, I uh, emailed Marissa. She was the one who started all this, and told her a little bit about my story and how I would love to do that. And she emailed Ray back right away, you mm -hmm. know, and it was at the throne of grace at that time. So I went, uh, I think it was the second day I was there. Yeah, the trailer was at Toronto Grace Church, Toronto grace. Down, right downtown, Park in Victoria. Yeah. And then then uh, we lost that spot and yep. had to wait for a bit, and then we relaunched it yep. at Wind Up Park. Yeah. yeah. So ever since that first day, I never left. Mm. Um, most of these people, most of the people that are still around, I used with, mm. you know, and... They some of most of them recognized me because I haven't really changed. People that you had used with yep. on the streets. On the streets. And how long ago had had you been connected to the people that you're meeting now? Well, that was within the the five years. Yeah. Right. Um, it was different on the streets back then. It is now, but yeah, we used to congregate together. Yeah. Use together. Sleep yep. together on the streets. Whatever. Right. Yeah. So. When this soup shack thing came, I went for my first shift, and I was just like, "Yeah, this is this is this is what I need to do." Yep. And um, so now I'm presently the, the coordinator of this thing. <laughs> Careful what you pray for, because it's 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 crazy. You work full time, I and work then full time, and then you go to the soup shack. I go to the soup shack, yeah. you know, and, and I and it's about building trust with them, building a relationship with them, you know. Most of them know that what I've been through, most of them know that I was a drug user, most of them know yep. I've been through jail and stuff. And, you know, and they ask me why I do this. Mm -hmm. and, and I was like, because like, I do it for you guys. Like, I love you guys. Yeah. You know, I love you every day. Every day I tell them I love you, every single one of them. You know, because we never got that. Yeah. We still don't get that, yeah. right? I say we, because, you know, they have, you know, it's hard every day out there. Yeah. You know, and so the soup shack creates a place where they can come get some soup, get some snacks, get a hot chocolate, get some clothes, some shampoo, whatever they need for that day. Yeah. It's pretty much rebased it on, from my knowledge of what I needed most of the time, what we need, we're looking for when we were on the street. Right. So, yeah. you know, my presence there is, you know, I like to give them hope and joy. And love, you know, hope that they can change. Yep. You know, and I'm doing it. And there's a number of us that are been in in addiction that yep. are running, running the or 
volunteering at the soup shop. Yeah. You know, so when they come in and they ask questions and stuff like that, it opens the door. And I was like, look, at there's three of us here. Mm-hmm. We were all on the street within the last five years. Yeah. And, you know, you can too. You can cross over. Yeah. You can too. Yeah. You know, and they come high. They come mentally disturbed. They come happy. Yeah. Most of them, you know, are sad. Yeah. But we try every day to feed them and to make when they leave that they're smiling and, and, yeah. and they're happy. And, and it is. And it's truly an amazing thing that's going on there. You know, you're telling me a story uh, a couple of weeks ago about uh, there was a there was a guy that uh, was making some threats uh, towards you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you're down at the soup shack, and and what what's the story? Why what what did why did this guy have a beef with you? And 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 what happened? Um, well, at the soup shack, we have a parking lot, and we try to create a safe space for two hours at least of their, all these people's lives. Yeah. So we have um, street girls. We have drug dealers, we have users, whatever, come. So this man pulled up in his Jeep right in the middle of the parking lot and tried to pick up one of the girls. Mm. So I caught this and I asked him nicely to move on. He ignored me. I asked him three or four times to move on and he just kept continuing talking to this young lady. Mm -hmm. So finally I, was, I got a, right to his door and I said, listen man, this is a safe place for these people for two hours. I said, you're parked right beside it, it says private property of Lazarus Church. Mm -hmm. Can you go? Well, he started calling me Antichrist and this and that. He goes, I'm the Lazarus and, and this and that. And I'm like, whatever. So I'm like, just leave, right? And uh, after a few minutes of tossing back and forth words to me, he, he decided to leave. So I turned and went back to the shack and, and he went across the street, come out, pull a knife. and. Uh, Egging pull me, knife. pull a knife, come on over here, come over here, come over here, we'll settle this now. So I started to, to walk a little bit over to the street to tell him to beat it. And everybody behind, all the people from the street behind me got up and started chasing this guy down the street. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's like everyone stood up and was watching and like, listen, just get out of here. You touch him, yeah. touch him and we're gone. You know, you yeah. pay for it. So I had to use them back, right? I'm like, we, we don't need that, right? Like, yeah, you know, and, and this is what it is. It's, I got a chance to, to give them that peace of mind for the two hours. Yeah. Right? And, and I love to do that. And that's where I excel. And, yeah. you know, for them, when, when I noticed that they stood up and started speaking yeah. up for me, that's when I knew that, that we're, we're changing lives. Yeah. Right. Because even if they're in the middle of addiction or being high or whatever, they all stood up. They stood up and were protecting what they have. So no matter what condition a person is in, there's that, a, there's an that, opening. There's an opening, right? There's, there's still a trace of conscience and, and a sense of there is a right and a wrong. Yep. Yeah. And it's funny we mentioned that because, you know, we'll have, um, people talking to themselves and yelling at yeah. whoever. Yeah. And then I'll be like, would you like something? Would you like a soup? How are you? Blah, blah, blah. And then they stop. Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. That's when I come in. Connection pulls them out. Of are you okay? Craziness. Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah. Okay. I love you. Here's yeah. your soup. Here's your this. And then they continue on. 
So there's an opening, right? Yeah. And you have to wait for that. Yeah. You know, there's the same we love them where they're at, right? Mm. It, and we have to. And and then when when that opportunity arises, that's when it gets in. And then that's when you see them smile. And then they come back the next day. Yeah. And they say, "Remember when when you did this or that?" Yeah. I'm like, "Yeah, I remember." Yeah. So like, "Thank you." Yeah. And on the way they go. Yeah. Right? What can I do for you right now? What can I do for you right this moment? What do you need? Mm. And that's what the soup shack brings. Yeah. You know, um, sometimes it's not as great as it, as that. Yeah. You know, and there's like we uh, you have to be on your toes. Yeah. But the one thing I'll say is the people that come, we have eighty over eighty people coming a, a night within that two hours now. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them are so thankful. They're so polite. You know, they're they're just they just love being there. And and as yeah. you've seen, there's sometimes that parking lot is full. Yeah. And we're just hanging out hanging out, talking, I'll go sit with them and chill, you know what I mean, have a hot chocolate with them. You're, uh, you're seeing what, what God sees. Yeah, but, and I was them. Yeah. Right, and I was them. And I was one of them. Yeah. One more question. <laughs> so, if, if somebody is uh, paying attention to this podcast and they've got... Uh, you know, perhaps a, a family member that uh, uh, keeps uh, choosing fear over faith, <laughs> somebody who's uh, steeped in addiction and uh, their their mind is shot. Um, Bobby, what would what would you say to somebody who came to you to and described the relationship that they have to somebody that that's uh, down that rabbit hole? You know, unfortunately, like you have to let them go and they have to make their own decision. But what I would say was don't don't lose hope. Don't lose hope because one day that person might come back and say, I need help. Yeah. You know, or get in touch with you at that moment. I'm going to cry and get in touch with you at that moment. You got to be there for that moment. Yeah. You know, it's that moment when they when they reach out, whatever way it is, you know, um, to say, OK, and go get them. Yeah. Or make a phone call, do yeah. whatever it takes to get them at that moment, because at that moment, that's when when it when when they're going to feel either the love or the hate. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because their minds are so messed up right now and they don't know really what coming and going. Right, but if they if they call and say, "I'm alive" or "I'm here," and you know, you pray, the moms and dads and families pray, 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 pray for these people to yeah to come and, and get help, right? Yeah. And you have to let them go because they have to they have to make their choice. But yeah. you know, don't give up hope. I know my kids and my wife didn't, yeah. and my mother-in-law and people in Israel were praying over me every day. You know, and um, even though I wasn't expecting to come back and they weren't 100% sure that I was going to come back, but I did. And, and, you know, and for my sisters and my wife and them to come get me at that time when I made that phone call, because if they didn't come get me, I probably would have been dead. Yeah. I would have been dead. And, 
you know, because they let, they had to let me go and I had to go do what I had to do. Yeah. But I, I, I made that call. Yeah. And they came and got me, yeah. you know, so I don't know how to, how to say that, you know, because it's hard, you know, like, yeah. we do a lot of stuff. We do a lot of damage. Yeah. There's a lot of damage, you know. And and even like people at, at the soup shack will curse and swear and throw soup at me. Yeah. But I still love you. And yeah. when you're ready, I'm here. Come find me. You know, and, and we'll work on how to get get you to the next step. Because it is so tough, Pastor Kevin, like to come from that, to learn how to live again, to to learn how to how to ask for help, learn you know, how, even just to to get your banking information, get your license back, get your get your things back, to get everything back, yeah. you know, and it is so challenging for for people on the streets today. Yeah, like the, it is. There there is not much opportunity, and and there is only very few of us that make it through. Yeah, there is. There's, there's like one, maybe one percent. I yeah. like to say two percent. I wish it was higher, but it, you know, that's the sad truth. Is it? You know, it, it can be higher, can't it? Yes, it yeah. can. Like, and this is part of we were talking about this earlier. I don't, I don't understand why there's so many obstacles. Their cry for mental health and addiction and overdoses is rampant, and everybody, it's every day, it's happening. But yet, yeah, a lot of red tape and a lot, lot of money gets in the way. Like for me, I have guys that come to the soup shack that overdose in the alley. They call detox and they say. Well, you didn't use today. We can't help you. Or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You have to be in that yeah. thing. So, so I was like, I had to take one young man. I was like, tell him. I pulled him out of the alley, overdosed. Mm -hmm. Can you get him into treatment? He wants to get into treatment. You know, and by the grace of God, he got in. And he's still in. And he's still doing good. Thank God. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, and I had the guy come up to me. He goes, Bobby, I, I overdosed two days ago. And I saw him, actually, when they revived him. Because yeah. I was driving down the street. And... He called detox, and they told him, "No, basically." Yeah. How can yeah, we? How the, can we do that? Yeah. Like the, the the systems are are often so overwhelmed, and and uh, yeah, we yeah. need a need a whole lot more Jesus on the streets. Well, and that's it. And people are. I don't know how to say it, like with Jesus, you know, but. They just, I just wait for my opportunity, right? Yeah. And they ask me, Bobby, how did you get free? How did you get happy? And yeah. I tell them, I say, listen, the only way that I'm still sober today yeah. is to focus on Jesus. Yeah. That's it. They, they, saw, they saw in you a dead man that came back to yeah. life. Jesus, I wear the shirt. Jesus saved my life. Yeah. I wear it all the time. Yeah. You know, and he did. He saved my life. And, yeah. and that's what I tell them. He, he'll save yours too. Yeah. You know, because it's a whole different way of living. It's a good living. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not so geeky anymore, right? Yeah. But it's just, a, it's actually, when I think about it, it's an honest day of living it because the Bible tells you how to live. Yeah. And, and I do those yeah. as best as I can. Yeah. Right? I'm not perfect. I'm just yeah. forgiven. <laughs> You're not perfect, but you have a wife named Grace. <laughs> and I have the shirt for that, too. <laughs> but yes, for parents and yeah. out there, don't give up hope. Yeah. Don't give up hope. Just you know, I know you can't go chasing them down and stuff, but yeah, if that if that opportunity comes where they call, go yeah. get them. 
Bob, Bobby, thanks, thanks for sharing your story, and uh, let's stay close. Yes, I love you, Bill. Love you, too. <laughs> Bobby and his team of volunteers are doing such an incredible work uh, in downtown Windsor out of the soup shack. Um, the latest uh, stats we're seeing uh, up to 100 people a night coming out uh, to receive soup and food and, and supplies. And uh, the need just is so great in so many of our Canadian cities. On our next episode, I'm going to be interviewing a group of uh, musicians from all over the US. Uh, they travel together. They're known as the Extreme Tour. And uh, this is a, uh, a uh, almost like a mission agency for uh, musicians to go into uh, communities where there's uh, a lot of times great social need and to work with uh, the churches in those neighborhoods and uh, put on concerts, but also to mix and mingle with uh, the folks on the street. And uh, so we've got them here for a whole week. And uh, on our next episode, you're going to get to meet a few uh, really neat people from all over the U.S. that are on mission in Windsor. So do come back for that episode. Until next time, I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, and you're listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. Studio 61.